Welcome to the Property Business Accelerator podcast with your host, Mike Frisbee. Mike is a well-respected property investor and has built up a high-yielding residential property portfolio across the Southeast since 2006. Mike is well known for his HMO expertise and for specializing in delivering high-end, premium and affordable HMO living spaces. Complex property knowledge made simple, direct from the property front line with Mike Frisbee. Hi, and welcome to this, uh, today's episode of the Property Business Accelerator. I'm delighted today to have an expert in leasing. I have Claire Saunders from Cashflow Leasing, um, who is, knows all about leasing. She's been in the property industry for around about four years and in leasing for um, about three and a half years. So she has invested herself, but she is concentrating on her business now. And she has gone out by herself just over a year ago um, to set up her own leasing company to help us property investors out. So welcome, Claire. Can you uh, introduce yourself to the listeners today? Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm uh, Claire Saunders from Cashflow Leasing. Um, thanks for the introduction. I think you pretty much um, know everything about me now. So yeah, I started in property uh, about four years ago. Um, did a lot of training with um, some of the, the big companies out there, um, and then got a, well, I got to the point where it was like. I want to focus on property, so I need a job that's in property, if that makes sense. So um, I started working for another leasing company um, who do the same as what I do. Um, and I was their first employee. So I literally learned from the ground running sort of thing. So I built relationships with the lenders, with customers. I learned all the processes and that sort of thing. So I got quite a good, um, you know, standing from from working for them. Um, when I left them, it wasn't to start my own business. You know, I never intentionally um, wanted to, to be in competition with them. Um, it was literally like everyone else does. Oh, I'm leaving. I'm going to go and do sourcing, that sort of thing. However, I found sourcing quite difficult um, because I guess it's from my sort of ethical side of um, I didn't want to give people a bad deal. Um, so, you know, you're out there, you're finding uh, properties and things, and there's always that thing in the back of your mind, what if it goes wrong? So um, my business coach at the time said to me, just do what you know. So um, in June last year, Cashflow Leasing was born because it's what I know. I enjoyed doing it. I love helping people. Um, and you know, it's property related as well. So I'm still within that property network. So I know what's going on and uh, with the, you know, in the world of property as well as leasing. Um, so that's sort of how it started. Um, and to be honest, it grew quicker than I thought it was gonna go. I thought, you know, when you first start a business, you think, oh, you know, oh, I'm not gonna get any customers and that sort of thing. But I think because of my reputation from where I worked before, um, people knew who I, who I was. So that natural, you know, gradients to me happened. Um, and yeah, I did, was all over Facebook and doing videos and things like that. So that's really helped me to grow. And then doing things like this with you um, is obviously great as well because it gets me out there. Mm, brilliant. So that's quite an interesting story of how you've ended up um, where you've ended up, um, obviously working for yourself. Um, and as you said, I, I was thinking, oh, this would have been an intentional move, just fed up of working, you know, with them because you set it all up because as you were going through that I thought oh and then I thought I could do it for myself but it was you wanted to 
sort of operate more in property. So decided to step out for a while, um, like a lot of other people in the industry and um, work in property, but then actually thought, actually, this is what I know. And I think, I think focusing on things that you know as a, as a business person, I think is a really astute thing to do. And obviously you can do this probably far easier, probably far less stressful that allows you a bit of space and time to do a bit of property on the side as and when you want to do so. So very, very interesting. So tell us a little bit about what, you know, what leasing is. Um, mm -hmm. Just explain what, what, it, what you actually do. So if I'm a customer, I'm a typical customer, I'm a property investor, I come to you and say, Claire, can you help me out? I wanna buy a whole load of furniture for my house. Um, what can you offer? So can you run mm -hmm. through and explain a little bit about what this leasing is? Yeah, so it's, it's called asset leasing. So it's leasing assets for a business. So at, at the moment, I like I say, my, I predominantly work with property people, but that doesn't mean that I can't do other assets as well um, for businesses, not vehicles or anything like that. It's completely different. Um, so this kind of asset leasing is a way to acquire the furniture, white goods, um, practically anything right down to the teaspoon um, for your property, whether it's a HMO, service accommodation, hotel, or bigger things like that. Um, and it's tax efficient as well. So rather than having to purchase it, um, which is obviously an outlay for you guys, um, you know, by leasing it, one benefit, like I say, is you don't have to buy it yourself. So we're always taught in a lot of our um, trainings to leverage money, you know, use other people's money all the time. So this is another way of doing that. Um, furniture depreciates really quickly. Um, so therefore, you know, why, why purchase it if it's just going to devalue over time? So, you know, there's so many benefits for, for leasing. Um, you know, it could be that, you know, your refurbs run over and you've run out of money, but you want this specific look for your property. Um, you know, if you are worried about, you don't want to cut corners and make it look cheap because then you're not going to get the rent that you want. So again, you know, by leasing, you're going to achieve the look that you want um, without, you say cutting corners and the reason why I'm called cash flow leasing is because your property's cash flow is what pays for the lease so your tenants or your customers are the ones that are actually paying or servicing your lease so you don't actually doesn't actually cost you anything it comes out of your cash flow from your you know your your property yeah. so, so any property investor obviously has a lot of setup costs you know, especially if they're doing a refurb, but even if they're not doing a refurb, there's costs associated with setting up and that's where there's a lot out of outlay. And what you're able to do is instead of having to pay for it up front, it basically comes when you start getting income, when the income is produced out of your property, you start to pay for it. So can it be 100% financed? Is it 95% financed? It's very difficult to finance a property these days, 100%. Yeah. But can you um, finance these assets? Uh, what, what's sort of the, the amount that you can borrow? So um, it's 100% finance. Um, so I partner with um, quite a few suppliers. Um, if anybody wants the list, then they're more than happy to uh, give that out. Just contact me. Um, so yeah, so you'd go to your supplier, get a quote, come to me. We have a conversation about your business. Um, you know, your personal circumstances, your projects. I have a good in-depth conversation with my customers so I understand them to make sure I deliver the right product. Um, and 
uh, yeah, so once we've we've done all that, um, so whatever they quote as, so a lease gets set up at the net amount because you pay VAT on your monthly premium. So the minimum amount you can finance is 2000 net, although uh, some of my lenders are going to be increasing that to 5000 net. But that doesn't mean that you can't do more than one property. So, for instance, if you've got a few smaller service departments that you're doing, we could put them together onto one lease. Um, so, yeah, it's 100 percent finance um, over an agreed term. The term is uh, standard is three years. Um, and yeah, so it's basically capital plus the interest over the three years. So basically after three years, you've paid it off. So you would have paid that loan off that you've got. And what happens to the furniture at that point? Is that, is it, is that now my furniture? Do you come and take it back? What, what happens to it? So I'm glad you asked that. This is where a lot of people get confused with it. And some um, people tell people the wrong information. So I'm glad you asked that question. So the tax advantages that you get with um, leasing. So for HMO landlords, you've got if you purchase it you can't claim your initial purchase cost back you used to be able to claim like the wear and tear allowance that sort of thing yeah, which has stopped right. now yeah. um, you can you can claim replacements back but you can't claim initial purchases so with a lease you can do that so that's a really big benefit for hmo or residential um landlords um essays obviously you can claim that back anyway because that's a different kind of business um, you also get a corporation tax relief from your monthly premium. So any profit that you make from your property, you can use, uh, is it 19% of your monthly premium that comes off of your profit? So it saves you on your corporation tax bill. So because of those benefits, at the end of the term, you technically can't own those items. However, there are ways around it. So the reason why they only do a maximum of three years is obviously um, furniture depreciates. So what we can do is at the end of the three years, we can do what's called continued use. So you pay an additional couple of months premium. Uh, that may vary per lender. Some only do one, some do two. So if we say two months as a worst case scenario, so two months premium extends the lease for another two years. At the end of those two years, so five years, there's no intrinsic value left in, the, in that furniture. So they don't want it. Um, they say that you are to dispose of it. So you can do what you want with it. Um, one of my lenders does what's called um, nominate a third party. So that's where you can nominate somebody that's not a director. So it can be uh, wife, husband, mum, dad, whatever. And you just pay 1% of the lease value. Um, and then something that I'm looking to do, which is different from other lenders, is I'm looking to bring in a recycle reuse option. So at the end of the three or the five years, if um, my customer decides that they want to get new furniture, then we'd uh, look to collect the furniture from the property. Anything that can be reused, we would give back to the community. Um, and anything that needs recycling, like mattresses and stuff like that, would go to uh, be recycled. So that's the options that the, the customer's got at the end. Okay, so that's, that's quite comprehensive. So essentially, they're not allowed to own it but then there's so the trick really is that it's been depreciated and essentially it's zero value so you can then transfer it and and the responsibility lies with the landlord then to dispose of it as opposed to the leasing company mm -hmm. you don't want anything more to do with it 
And it's quite a nice idea there as well. If, if people are wanting to actually get rid of that furniture, that you will come along and uh, help and uh, recycle that and um, obviously put it to good use. Because I think quite often the furniture does last longer than that. Um, mm -hmm. Most landlords probably will continue to use that furniture, but uh, there might be some, especially if it's service accommodation premium or they're renovating a property, they might want new, new stuff uh, coming in. Um, so I guess it could mean that you could have new furniture every three years um, in your property, keeping it, you know, especially if you're operating a high end. Or mm -hmm. I guess, you know, you mentioned hotels as well. I guess they, they might go through recycles um, every uh, few months. So essentially what I'm understanding here, you're kind of, uh, I'm going to use a term that obviously property investors know very well, which is um, uh, mortgage brokers. Essentially, you're the broker for, for funding furniture. So you've got brokers who are um, mortgage brokers who are there to fund the per property purchase and you're so you do a similar role but for furniture really um yep. is, that, is that is that a good way of describing it because you have a panel of lenders and then you suit the the buyer or the leaser um to that panel of lenders and how might the panel vary what what kind of key points of difference are there across the panel that we might want to consider mm -hmm. so that's a good question um yes yeah, so some of my lenders will do predominantly the, the same sort of lending. Um, rates vary depending on the customer. So if it's a new business, obviously rates are higher. Um, if it's an established business, then right, rates are slightly better. Um, however, there are some lenders that I can work with where I can get a new business slightly better rates if they've got experience. So for instance, if you're a property investor and you're setting up a, a new limited company or SPV, um, for HMO or something that they're doing with somebody else, but they've got 30 buy-to-let properties and, you know, God knows how many HMOs as well. So they've got experience. So therefore I can use their portfolio to get them a better rate than a new business rate. So there's some lenders that will do that. Um, some lenders will only do, so for the rent-to-rent -rent guys, that will only do the term based on the rent-to-rent -rent contract. So if they've got like a one year rolling contract, some will only do one year, but then there are other lenders that will do three years. Um, they just say that at the end of the one year rolling contract, you have to let us know what's happening with that property. If you're keeping it fine, if you're not, then you can move the items to another location, just have to let them know. Um, majority of my lenders prefer uh, homeowners. Um, there is a, a, one of my lenders that has only just come back on the market um, who will do non-homeowners, but you have to have a third party guarantor who is a homeowner. So there's all these things that we have to find out, that I have to find out about my customer before I even apply. You know, if they've got cred bad credit, um, then I've got a lender that will actually look at the deal rather than the individual to make sure that it stacks up. And to be honest, I always look at the deal anyway with my customers and I wanna fill out the application form. I ask them, you know, how much income they think they're going to get based on mm. um, occupancy rates, um, how much their bills are and how much cash flow they're going to have left based on sort of worst case scenario to make sure that they can afford um, the leasing. Because it's not just about giving somebody money. Um, it's about actually making sure they can afford it. And what with what's happened recently, um, you know, it's, it's quite nice to know that the majority of my customers have carried on facilitating their leases over lockdown. You know, um, 
I would say 99% of my customers carried on paying. Mm. Um, I would say there's like 1% that probably asked for um, a payment break or, or something like that. Yeah. And it's quite interesting that you also, because I wasn't thinking about this, but rent to rent, because obviously with the rent to rent strategy up front, you, you know, you're putting in deposits and rents and doing up the property probably. Um, and, and quite a lot of that cost would be furniture. So mm -hmm. obviously the more you grow your business, the, the more capital it's taking. So you're trying to do this business really to generate cash flow. But the problem is, is you need to invest and then you get the benefit of cash flow. Um, yeah. So you have to look at the payback. So I should imagine the payback improves a lot and makes it far easier for people to expand their rent to rent portfolio by using this facility um, within, uh, within the rent to rent portfolio. But as you say, yeah. the deal needs to be able to pay for it. And it probably needs to be quite a good margin for a lender mm -hmm. to be comfortable with that. Yeah. I think it's really, really useful for a rent to rent strategy because, you know, a lot of people go into that because they want to make money or, or create a business and, and work in it full time. And I always say to people in rent to rents, you know, look at your cash flow. Look at it's all about getting the cash flow right because it's a cash flow business. And that if you if you get you structure your payments incorrectly, you could you know, the more you expand, the less money you could potentially have. Um, and this is a way of really um, stopping that and making it um, uh, helping that that initial curve and growth curve and, and allowing you to expand to get a decent uh, income out yeah. of rent to rent strategy, which is Definitely. fantastic. So who is your typical customer then? Describe who your typical customer would, would be. It does vary, really. But like you said, a lot of my... A lot of my customers are rent to renters because like you say they haven't got as much capital or they you know they're just starting out that sort of thing um so you do get a lot of those so you've got people who um you know they go they go out there and then they've been offered three properties and they want to take all three properties but they haven't got the cash for all three so that's where leasing comes in because obviously they've got the deposits that they can afford um and then we can then um do the the lease finance um, there's two types of lease finance. There's pre-delivery, which is where you can pay the supplier upfront. And then there's post-delivery, which is where we, the customer pays the supplier. We set the lease up in the background and the lease goes live once they've had delivery. Supplier gets paid a second time and then the supplier refunds the original payment. So there's two ways of doing it. So there's the people that don't have money. Obviously they want to go for the first one. So we do a lot of that predominantly of you know, rent to renters. And like you said, a lot of them will come to me before they take a deal and say, I've got this deal on the table. I'm negotiating it with my landlord, you know, the person who owns it. Um, how much is it going to cost to furnish it? So I give them a rough idea and they put that in their calculations to negotiate the deal with the landlord. So I think that that's pretty useful for rent to renters out there to include this kind of finance within their negotiations as well. Um, so I do get a lot of rent to rent guys, um, HMOs and SA. Um, and also you do get um, people who um, appreciate the, the tax incentives of it. So your HMO landlords, um, whether they own it or it's a rent to rent, um, because they know that they can get high end furniture from my suppliers um, and it's going to last. Um, and it stops having to worry about doing your flat pack and all of that sort of stuff, because that's just annoying. Um, I also do... Um, some refurb work as well so some of my um, landlords they have to own the property so as long as you own it you can look to re 
to um, lease like kitchens, bathrooms, fire doors, alarm systems, all that sort of thing um, as well. Obviously, again, it is about discussing the cost with them because it's all right for a landlord to come to me and say, oh, I need £60,000 out of this. And I'm like, well, it's going to cost you X amount a month. Is your cash flow going to cover that? So again, you know, it could be that it doesn't matter about the cash flow, that they've got other businesses and that sort of thing. So it's understanding the customer, really. So yeah, my customers are so diverse, to be honest. Um, some are homeowners, some are non-homeowners, some have credit issues, but predominantly it is people that are on like the rent to rent market or HMO yeah. landlords. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously HMOs are very expensive often to set up, you know, a lot of landlords, investors, they either buy a ready-made one, it's all nice up and running, someone's got it up and running, or they're looking for a rundown property that they can turn into an HMO. And when you do that, obviously there is a lot to invest. As you say, the fire doors, you know, potentially new central heating, and there's often new kitchens and bathrooms going in on suites. So you can actually uh, pay, so you can actually finance through this, you know, maybe the bathroom suites, the, the kitchens, the, the boy, a new boiler, those kind of things. So mm -hmm. you can you can finance that because um, that's quite a considerable cost, I guess, um, to an investor. I mean, a lot of it is labor of the builders and everything like that. But you can actually. Yeah. So that's quite a good saving. That's quite a good tip. That's probably um, a lot of people don't necessarily think about and understand. But yeah, but the deal, the caveat is the deal needs to pay because if you're if you're lending out, as you say, it certainly wouldn't be 60,000, but. Um, potentially, if you, I guess you could be lending out 15,000 to cover off the central heating system, the kitchen, the bathrooms, if you're doing quite a few on suites and those things, it soon adds up the white goods, uh, the furniture. Um, you know, you just need to make sure that you've got a good cash flowing HMO. And is, is there like a mortgage, a mortgage company will say, well, we need, when we see, you know, your rent needs to cover the rent payment by you know, 1.45 times or whatever it is, depending on whether you're in a company or, or own name. Is there a sort of um, amount of cash flow that you need to have to allow you to afford certain payment structures? So for, for me, I normally say that it has to be below 50% of your cash flow, but that's just me. My, I don't know what my lenders base it on, yeah. um, but I know that when I look at an application form, um, I know I need to feel comfortable that, you know, that if they have any empty rooms or whatever, they're going to yeah. still be able to afford to yeah. pay everything. So, so basically, if an HMO, for example, is is cash flowing at a thousand pounds a month or after all the other costs, you'd be happy to try to put in a lease that's for that would cost under five hundred quid a month. Um, and um, as long as it was it was in those ratios, you could foresee that you'd be able to have no problem funding it. Yeah, um, that's sort of worst case scenario. Most of mine come in. Just trying to think if it's a thousand they've probably come in between sort of three just over between two and three hundred pound for a normal like lease that is but if they wanted refurb items as well yeah go up it would a obviously bit. be a lot more yeah so so in order to furnish a reasonably sized hmo you're looking somewhere between sort of two to three hundred pounds to furnish an hmo maybe a six bed five bed six bed hmo something like that is that is that is that roughly <laughs> So um, it does like I say, it varies on the customer, but if we're looking at a, a new business, if they were to borrow 3,000 net, so like I said, it's a net price, it's about £120 plus fat a month. £120, yeah. Roughly, yeah. Yeah, okay. So that, that's quite interesting. Um, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so that gives the, the listeners a, an idea as to what, what you can borrow, um, what it's going to cost. Um, so it's roughly about £120 a month plus VAT. So coming into, you know, sort of, so what's that, 140, 44, 48 um, a month yeah. <laughs> um, uh, for £3,000 worth of, um, of of furniture, but that's that's furniture net of VAT as opposed to gross of VAT. Um, and you can go to pretty much any store, can you? You can choose any supplier, any, that doesn't matter. Um, or or so, you have to have a linked supplier. Does the money, how does the money work? Does the money come directly to the person that, you know, to the furniture provider or is it coming to me and then I pay? How does, how does that flow of money work? So, on our normal leases, which are the pre-delivery or the post-delivery, the money goes direct to the supplier. It doesn't go to um, the consumer, the customer. It goes direct to the supplier. Um, there is, uh, and you said about suppliers, ideally um, the customer needs to work with one of my suppliers um, or a, you know, a VAT trade supplier. So I have got some customers that come to me and they say, oh, I've worked with this guy for years. Can I work with him? So I have a conversation with that that supplier and, you know, I get them on board, that sort of thing. So sometimes we can work with other suppliers. It just means have a conversation with me so I can talk to, to the customer. Sometimes lenders, if it's a new supplier they haven't used before, they don't like or they won't do pre-delivery. So in those circumstances, you'd have to pay your supplier, get the lease set up. The lease would then get paid to the supplier again. And then, like I said before, the supplier would refund you what you've paid because they haven't got that experience with that supplier. Um, once they've got the experience, then they will do the pre-delivery. That's fine. Um, there is also um, another type of lease, which is called sale and lease back. It's a bit yep. more complicated. Um, and you can only do it if you've got a VAT registered company. Mm -hmm. um, and... Basically, it means you can purchase from anywhere, even Ikea and places like that. Um, however, the stipulations are you have to have proof of receipts and they will only um, cover invoices over £250 because they don't like loads of little receipts and stuff like that. Oh, okay. So, so you've got to go to the sh you've got to go to Ikea or get a delivery from Ikea for a substantial amount. So it's all on one receipt. Yeah. Because if you forget something and go, oh, I've got to pop back, they won't cover it unless it's more than 250 quid. Yeah. Um, yeah. All that. <clears throat> yeah. So a lot of SA people um, do sell and lease back um, because they like to go on Marketplace and Amazon and things like that. And they're ordered from different places. So they get beds from one place and things like that. But as long as each receipt is over 250 pounds, that's fine. Okay, and, and obviously SA suppliers, some of them are going to be VAT registered once you obviously hit the VAT threshold with SA. Yeah. It is a VAT qualifiable business as opposed to HMOs and yeah. um, renting, which is not a VAT, generally not a VAT business because obviously you don't VAT rent. So that's mm. the difference between those. So therefore it works better for SA than it does for, for landlords. But, yeah. it, but essentially, so what we're doing is if we come to you, you've got a recommended list of suppliers, then we can go away and choose from those. But if we do have someone who we've used and we trust and fits our style maybe, because these days I think HMO landlords are starting to sort of get style and get a, get a look and don't want to do up each property individually, probably, you know, 
they would they want to be able to sort of they do it once and then they might have some variations but want to use commonalities across properties to help them to scale a little bit Mm -hmm. So they do have one of those, they can come to you, you will talk to them and then you can work something out and see whether it's viable to use them. That's, I guess, not always viable, but uh, mm -hmm. I imagine in a lot of cases it is actually viable that you can use one of these. Yeah. But as you say, yeah. they probably need to be fairly substantial. They can't be Joe on the corner of the road at the market who <laughs> really have a recognised <laughs> no. They don't like uh, handwritten receipts yes. and they must be VAT registered as well. Yeah. Although I have worked with, uh, we do work with interior designers as well. Again, VAT registered ones. Um, and again, because they have to be VAT registered, that is because, like I said before, the lease is set up net and you pay VAT monthly. I have worked with some customers with an interior designer that wasn't VAT registered. But what they've got to understand is it's their conception of what that price is so you know if they were that registered would that amount be 20% more or not so what happens is it still gets set up but it will be set up at whatever the invoice is and then you pay VAT on top yeah so some people will think of that as oh well they would have charged me that anyway so that's yeah, fine it just sort of happens think, that they're not that registered so that's it would have been a benefit to me but majority of people I'm dealing with are that registered so I would be paying you know 10,000 plus VAT um so that cost is no different but you usually say i'm sure there's some people who go well i'm paying two thousand pounds more because of the vat yeah or people think they're paying VAT twice that's yeah. the other thing because you haven't got that initial discount on the net yeah. amount for the lease yeah um, and you're paying the vat so some people look at it like that some people aren't bothered they just want to lease it and they just want to do it you know, as long as they can afford the monthly premium, then yeah, really so it's the leasing cost. So it's not the furniture or the supply that's vatable. It's the leasing cost that is vatable. I mean, obviously the, the furniture could be, but what I'm saying is that it, it's that that cost is a vatable cost in the eyes of the yeah. end of revenue. So whether the furniture or not is vatable, it is it is a vatable expense to have uh, a lease in place, um, yeah. which is quite interesting. And do you have to account? Do you know, I don't know whether you know this or not, but obviously because there's a capital and um, uh, interest payment, you can offset the whole lot though, can you, um, against uh, a cost within your business to, to, to set off against tax? Is that is the capital and interest? Uh, double check with your accountant, because I don't want to say the wrong thing, but my understanding is once you convert it into a lease, you can claim it back um, on your capital allowance. So yeah. double check with an accountant whether so it's just the but it capital is, or one if it's of the key benefits of this is the tax efficiency of it um and that is uh, obviously one of the key reasons why an investor mm -hmm. might go down one is to help cash flow hence the name cash flow leasing and number two obviously it is more tax efficient again helping profits and cash flow um with that uh mm -hmm. for that and and so and typically it's what a three it's a maximum of three years, three years, is it? So the maximum term is three years and the minimum you'll go to is, is how long? Uh, one year. One year. So it's between yeah. one year and three years. As you say, if you've got a rent to rent contract, maybe it's a one year rolling contract, then it's only going to be a year's lease because of that reason, unless you've got other factors that you can extend it. Um, but essentially it's in the, um, and, and I guess there's a benefit, I guess the longer you do it over, the smaller the payment because um, the capital gets spread over a longer time, mm -hmm. probably yep. more back overall. So I guess it depends on the investor as, as to what, what they want to do. 
Um, yeah. Well, th th this has been fascinating. Um, the other thing I, I because this is I call the podcast is known as Property Business Accelerator. I'm always fascinated by people's businesses, and obviously you've set up by yourself. Um, and you know that's what a lot of people are doing. They they set up property businesses. They set up businesses either to do with property or in property to get going in property because they want to get rid of the day job. And I think one of your thinking behind this was was amazing. Was that look, I need I need some cash flow. I need some money. I need some money now and property is going to be my longer term income and my longer term. Um, so you've got a balance there, which I think is fantastic. But what would your advice be to anybody who's setting up a business? Um, uh, do you, what, what one key learning have you made over the last sort of 18 months that you've been in business? Are you going to ask me that? Um, I think when you work for yourself, you work longer hours and harder so you don't really give up a day job you sort of like you just get this is a lifestyle but I guess when it's a passion it's something you enjoy doing it's not really a it's not really a job if that makes sense because you enjoy what you're doing um I guess um have a mentor as well have somebody that you know whether it's to do with your business or if it's just a business mentor or just somebody to bounce you know ideas off yeah. of because it can be really lonely and yeah. especially during lockdown it's been really really um you know lonely and you know oh. yeah you do get to speak to your customers and stuff but when you get when it comes to business you know and you've got ideas and stuff like that i think yeah you just yeah so yeah that's sort of my tip bouncing things off other people i think is always very very useful so what you're saying is, I mean, absolutely. And I think sometimes, you know, some people are realistic when they set up a business and know that it's going to be hard. And others are thinking like, oh yeah, great. I just want to get rid of the day job, not realizing actually the new, the new job or the, the what is a job. Um, and I think they, they have, especially around property investing, I think sometimes because a lot of courses are sold on this basis of like passive income and all of this lot, property really isn't that passive. There are some strategies that are a bit more passive than others. Um, but essentially, you know, it is an active business. I say property is a business, so treat it as such. Um, but um, I think the key point, what you were saying though there, is it doesn't feel like work. And I think that's probably really what people are after. They want to do something that doesn't feel like work, so they don't mind putting the hours in. In fact, they're probably even quite enthused and energized by it and want to put in the hours. And I think that's the key flip. Sometimes that if you're in a job, you might not be quite as enthused if it's all for you. And what I like about running my own business is it's, it's kind of down to me. It's like, um, you know, the accountability, the, the, the performance, and there's no excuses really, it's, it's down to me. So I can't blame anybody else. Um, you know, there are circumstances, aren't there, sometimes that happen, you know, you've got the pandemic, but you, you are in control. Otherwise, um, you know, uh, you have to make those quick decisions and change and adapt to any scenario that's going on. So you've had a, a probably challenging um, a second half of your business life uh, because we moved into lockdown on a new business. So it's amazing that you've managed to, um, you know, you know, continue through this period and you're still here trading. And, um, you know, that, that's probably been quite tough and probably quite hair raising um, over a few uh, over the last few months. But uh, well done for keeping the business going. I often think, though, the best businesses are often set up in tough times because there's no excuses, you, you have to do everything right. And also there has to be a demand. There at any, any point, a business needs to have customers. And if there's still demand in tough times, when it gets good, 
it can disguise, you know, when if you set up a business in good times, it can disguise some problems with the business. Whereas now you have to get everything right. It has to be streamlined. It has to be uh, everything. So you're probably not thinking of spending loads on marketing and um, all of these kind of things. It's like everything, everything counts. So yeah, um, 100%. And uh, I think you're right there. I think during um, lockdown, it was very difficult because I'm, I'm a businesswoman, but I'm a mum as well. So my daughter wasn't at school. So I was spending the mornings teaching my daughter and then the afternoons working. And um, yeah, it was very difficult. And like you say, money, money coming in dropped because people weren't um, investing in property. They couldn't do anything. You know, everything stopped basically. So I had to rethink about how am I going to help people? So what I did was I was, try, like I say, about marketing. So I, I sort of market myself to for people who wanted to get money out of furniture. So um, with leasing, you can do retrospective leasing up to three months after the furniture has been purchased. So during lockdown, that's what I was focusing on. I was sort of getting out there and, you know, uh, ringing people and saying, you know, have you done any property, um, you know, any furniture, any property in the last three months? You know, did you want to try and get your money back out? So it, like I say, it is about adapting and it is about sometimes changing your message as well. So it's not just about that upfront, or oh, we can pay without a deposit, all that sort of stuff. It was thinking, how can I help people that don't have any money right now? And, you know, they've got money tied up in a depreciating asset. I can help them get that out. So that's what I did through lockdown. It was help people to recycle their cash so they could carry on after and pay their bills, basically, because their essays weren't having anyone in there and that sort of thing. So that's what, what I did. And I'm yeah. quite proud that I've come out the other end help them bridge a little bit of a gap because suddenly they're getting a lump sum and then when when it all comes back they can pay but I, I, what I like about what you're saying there is actually the, it's, it's the keep, keep it's the phrase of how can I help what what problem is my customer facing and how can I help knowing what I know about my area of business and as you say you pivoted slightly and certainly your marketing message changed but it was an insight behind the customer but what I but what I love about what you're saying there is like how can I help and I think that's a key lesson for business is how are you helping people? How are you helping your customers? Because ultimately that's where you, you, you're going to get customers queuing up to come and see you because you're helping them out. And it's really seen as a, as a great service. Um, um, but definitely uh, a, a really, really good insight. And obviously it's really been probably beneficial to you over the, uh, over the, over this lockdown period that you've, that you've flipped it like that. But I guess, are you starting to see, I mean, we're now in um, November 2020. Um, are you starting to see a lot more uh, business starting to pick up and people investing in, in properties and requiring furniture again? What's what's your take on on? on yeah, what, so on since so March was like my best month, you know, and then lockdown happened. And for, I think, where were we? Until July, I was really, like income was quite low. Um, until I like switched it and did that and then July it's gradually starting to build up and now November again it's matching where I was in March so yeah it's getting there yeah and a lot but a lot of people that I'm talking to now um, will be doing stuff either end of December or January so I mean I talk to my customers all the time some of them want to just know what it's all about some of them are 
giving me a heads up so that they're like, yeah, I'm refurbing, but it's not going to be till January and things like that. So it's just keeping me in the loop and, and that sort of thing. So even though I might not be getting the lease live now, I know that I've got that pipeline coming so that the next months are going to be good as well. Yeah. And I, and I should imagine that, um, <clears throat> as you say, um, because we've had this stamp duty holiday, and I, should, I think a lot of investors are invested, but you've got a slight time lag. So because of, especially people are refurbishing. So that all these completions are going to be happening over the next few months. So I should imagine the next six months is going to be very good. And then we'll see what happens come mid, mid next year once, you know, have investors slow down when the stamp duty holiday disappears. Well, they say it's going to disappear. However, I do think there's going to be some good opportunities to invest midway through uh, 2021 because those properties that haven't sold will probably have to come down in price. I don't think the market will drop, I say, too much, but I just do think there'll be those that are sticking because there's some problem and those really nice houses will probably continue to sell. But those that are sticking um, will probably, there'll be some, uh, I think, definite opportunities for uh, investors out there over, over next year. But um, yeah, de definitely, definitely. I think uh, a lot of people are, are starting to migrate to social housing as well. That's very, becoming very popular at the moment. And um, I work with social housing people as well, because a lot of the, um, what they call charities, don't supply the furniture anymore. They used to, but they don't anymore. So we've got a uh, supplier that will provide the furniture because they, they ask for special stuff like metal frame beds and things and uh, waterproof mattresses. So a, co a couple of my suppliers will do packages for social housing as well. Oh, so that's quite interesting. Yeah, that's very interesting that the specific needs. I, th I think, again, yeah, I mean, these supported, again, that the, the, there is there's going to be a rise in, in requirements, I think, for the whole social housing side. Unfortunately, a lot of people have lost jobs. I think mental health is a big issue over this whole mm -hmm. period. Um, so I think a lot of people are going to be struggling and um, obviously they're going to need some support. So I do think that that sector is a big sector for the property businesses over, over the next few years and something mm -hmm. To know a little bit about um uh, definitely um i'm also interested as a, as a business owner property investor um whether you read any sort of self-development books business books and if there's one that stood out to you um that you've actually read and enjoyed <laughs> put me on the spot um i like to do um audio books um yeah. audio podcasts or anything you know i've been, I've been listening to um Oh my God, what's his name? The American guy. Joe Rogan. Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins. Yeah, I've been listening to his and uh, my my partner absolutely swears by The Richest Man in Bob Babylon. Mm -hmm. He loves that book. Um, yeah. I've listened to it a couple of times as well. So that's a really good one. Um, and I think when I left one of my jobs, they gave me the, is it the four hour work week or something like that? Yeah. Tim so, Ferriss, yeah. four-hour work week. That's yeah. the one for for keeping an eye on 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 making. You, as you say, you could end up working a lot longer. And he's very much like he was determined not to um, work more than four hours a week. And, and I challenge you that it would be very difficult to run a business in four hours a week without having yeah. working initially. But exactly, that is um, uh, uh, great. Um, yeah. And and finally, um, what I also like to 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 ask is is what does the future hold so i know you've just set up this business and you're probably trying to grow that but if i if i was to say and this is quite an awkward question sometimes because <laughs> say, well in about 10 years time where where does claire want to be in 10 years time where do i want to be so i want 
cash flow leasing to be so my vision is the go-to leasing company i know there's others out there um but i want to be the one that people think of going to um because of the service not necessarily the product because yeah, of the service, service and the relationships that i build with my customers um and i would hope that as i grow my employees would take on that ethos as well because the customer is what's important um obviously i want to bring in the uh, recycling thing in the next two years um so i really am quite passionate about about that helping and giving back to others um my partner is uh learning to do mortgages so there will be an arm of mortgages as well so like a sister company that will be able to provide mortgages oh so God. we'd be able to do quite a lot so, so it's quite a big vision there <laughs> yeah no that's good i always like to have big visions i being a um i, I quite like having big visions but uh, you know in 10 years you can achieve a lot i think you know some people over overestimate what they can do in a year but certainly in 10 years you can achieve a lot and especially if you start to leverage and get employees but i love the vision for the company it's all about customer service and keeping and maintaining that high level of customer interaction and um offering that service and then you're tacking on more financing so there's a commonality there which makes sense um, um to allow to do mortgages because you've already got you all have established a customer database and there's a lot of good cross-pollination between the two i should imagine so um brilliant well that sounds very exciting and certainly it's probably going to keep you busy over the the, the next few years um, so thank you again claire very much for your time um, just before we go, do you want to say where people, if people wanted to get in contact with you, what's the best way? Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, but thank you for having me. It's been 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 fun, actually. It's been really good. Thank you. Um, yeah, so there's a couple of ways of contacting me. You can either get me through Facebook, which is Claire Saunders, um, or Cash Row Leasing's got a page as well. So you can message me through that. Um, and the easiest way is to email, which is sales at cashflowleasing.co.uk. Or you can call me on 07720-717-113. Brilliant. Excellent. Well, um, certainly been interesting chatting. Um, you never quite know where these conversations are going to go, but certainly um, really fascinating to see what you can do within the whole leasing world. There's a little bit more things that you can do than I probably anticipated, especially around um, maybe some of the bigger items, the, the sort of what I would call more refurby items rather than just the furniture like the boilers, like the, the kitchens, maybe the en-suites um, that you have. So um, that's um, that's really, really interesting. So um, I've taken away a few things from here and I uh, wish you all the success in the business. You've, you've, you've ridden, I think, probably the hardest time, um, economic times over the, certainly in the last um, few recent years. So um, well done on that. Keep going as I'm sure um, the business will continue to be a success. So thank you very much for coming thank on you. today. And, um, all the best in the future. Thank you. Thanks so much. You've been listening to the Property Business Accelerator podcast with Mike Frisbee. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and at our website, propertybusinessaccelerator.co.uk.